Now, yesterday we talked about, a lot of what we talked about was the surrender of our will to God and how God can make an entire change in our lives by the choices that we make for Him. Through the power of choice, we, were, we, we, we read that an entire change can be made in our lives. And so we surrender our will by choosing Christ over everything else. The first point of Christianity or true conversion is that point, as I mentioned yesterday, where we first choose Christ's will over our own. It's not the only time that that needs to happen. But that's the turning point. When we become disciples of Christ, just like Peter on that boat, that was when he became a disciple, when his will conflicted Christ, and that's when he said, you know what, Christ, you're going to be first. And I mentioned that yesterday. We can go through a lot of motions in the Christian life without really submitting our lives to Christ. But when we make that point of submission, that's the point of justification or conversion. Justification is the work of a moment. And much of what we have talked about are the steps to Christ. But I mentioned to you yesterday the book Steps to Christ is not just about steps to Christ. It's a lot of, a lot of instruction on steps with Christ. Amen. And our scripture reading said that in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from what? From faith to faith. And the language of the apostle there is trying to communicate to us that this is a, in fact, he goes on to say the just shall what? Live by faith. Live is not a one-time thing. Live implies that there's going to be a process here. Faith to faith is very clear that there's a process. Once we've received Christ and been born again, our journey with Christ has just begun. Our message today is entitled, It's Complicated. One of the first, one of the social site, uh, Facebook's first features was the relationship status. And from the beginning, it was a successful one. So successful, in fact, that it began to invade every culture and lexicon of dating. And of the different descriptions that were available, single, in a relationship, engaged, married, separated, divorced, there's the status, it's complicated. which fast became an iconic phrase to describe the rocky dating lives of teens and 20-somethings. According to the Urban Dictionary, it refers to a couple in an ambiguous state between friends and in a relationship. Apparently, it also may be used to indicate dissatisfaction with an existing relationship. But now let's pre-Facebookers here be honest. Relationships have always had a level of complication before Facebook had a status for it. Isn't that true? When I began dating my wife, I, was, I had just turned 18 there. She was 16. When I had first started dating, and she insisted we weren't, which of course complicated things, she was taking a sort of summer break. It was over the summer that we met. She was taking a break from a boyfriend of hers. He had gone to Florida for the summer, so they kind of put things off. But she let me know that she was dating. So that when we would go out to eat together and hang out together, we were not dating. And she made it clear that when he got back, I was out. Which complicated things. 
to say the least. Well, my wife and I have been married for 32 years now. And there are still times things get complicated. Because relationships have complications. One of the main reasons is because there's more than one will involved. And as it is with earthly relationships, so it is with the spiritual. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. There's an important passage here. In John chapter 3, when Jesus meets with Nicodemus, one that I don't know that we overlook it, but maybe we don't draw from it what we could in John chapter 3. In verse 12, now Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and trying to explain to him being born again. He talks about the wind and how the wind works. But I want you to notice what Jesus told him in verse 12. He says, if I have told you what? Earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What's the point? What Jesus is communicating here is that God has ordained certain things to happen the way they do on this planet because they're illustrative of heavenly things. What would happen if our earthly relationships had absolutely zero in common with heavenly relationships? And so what Jesus is saying is we can learn from the interactions we have. The, our, when we're talking about a relationship with God and relationship with Christ, it's not going to be so absolutely different from an earthly relationship that we can't draw any parallels. It would make things confusing. Now, a relationship with Christ has been, we talk about relationships. Relationships are important. Of course they're important. And relationship with Christ has been, been the buzzword for some time now. But there's a challenge when you do talk about the word relationship is that there's different kinds of relationships. Even within the same relationship, it may be at different stages. Sometimes relationships are good and sometimes they're not so good. And so when a person is, is wanting to, to, to uh, boost their own self-esteem in some cases, they say, well, you know, I know that I should be doing this or that, but I have a relationship with Christ. Well, don't pat yourself on the back just yet because the devil has a relationship with Christ too. It's not a good one. <laughs> But they used to live together up in heaven, in the heavenly community. Not every relationship is a good one. In a study conducted by the Institute of Church Ministry at Andrews University in 1980, 8,200 Seventh-day Adventists were surveyed about, among other things, their devotional habits. Respondents showed that only 41% were spending regular time in personal Bible study and prayer. I don't know how those 41%, I don't, just because even, even in the case of somebody having regular time in Bible study and prayer doesn't guarantee a good relationship, but I'm going to tell you that the other uh, group, the 59%, they're not having a good relationship. You can't have a good relationship when you don't spend time with the Lord. So I want to talk to you this morning about our relationship with Christ. And by God's grace, communicate maybe how we can have a strong relationship. Now, 
I see three essential components in any relationship. You can come up with a different list, that's fine, but I see three things that are essential, and those three things are time and communication and expression. Any good relationship needs this. For example, let's start with time. Talk about time for a minute. In, time, in, the, in the context of time, if you think about your closest relationships, there is, there is not a single person on this earth who has a super close relationship with somebody they don't spend time with. You might say, but my best friend lives over in Washington State. Well, they didn't used to, or you did. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, time is essential to any good relationship. Now, when my wife and I began dating, it was my, I told you, I just turned 18. I started my first year in college. And I was a little distracted. That's a picture of my college transcript. I don't know if you can see it, but if you note that, I had D's in every class. Now, that's not how it was in high school for me. I did fairly well. But I wasn't spending my time with my schoolwork. I was spending my time somewhere else. And her name was Stephanie. Stephanie. Nobody has to tell you when you're in love with somebody to spend time with them or when you're getting to know to love somebody to spend time with them. Time is essential in, in a relationship. Incidentally, my grade point average is a 1.0. And if any of our viewers or listeners are, are, are either getting ready for college or in college, I just want to give you a news flash that I had when this happened to me. And that is that in high school, if you get a D, you pass. Not so in college. You don't pass, and listen, they don't give you the money back you paid for the classes. That's another story. But just a little bit of wisdom that has come over time. Time is essential to any relationship. And let me say something else here. You'll never... Find time. We love that. I love that expression. It's great, right? I'm going to find, I'll see if I find time. Right. You never find time. You make time. And you have to make time for Christ. Now, we're going to get into this, this a little bit more. I'm going to talk a lot about our devotional aspect of our relationship with Christ. I'm not going to limit it to that, but I'm going to tell you that, as we saw from the survey results, Christians struggle with devotional life, and I think in part it comes from faulty expectations, and maybe that's why they don't commit time, but you have to commit time to something, and if you're going to have a strong relationship with the Lord, you've got to set aside time for it. You've got to commit time. You make time, you don't find time. And time in and of itself is not sufficient. Um, one thing that I have learned, no, no, let me rephrase that. One thing I am learning, 32 years of marriage, my wife will tell you I haven't learned it yet, but I'm working on it, is that not all time counts. I can be in the same room with my wife, I can be in the same car with my wife, but that's not time together. Right? I have one lady said, Amen. I know at least the ladies are thinking, You preach it. <laughs> but 
you know, there's a word, at least we used to use a phrase called quality time, undivided attention. You know, time, that's great, but time, time in the same place is not time, is not time together. You know, a lot of people say they have devotional time. I even know people that have time set aside and they read their Bible, but I want you to understand that all time, not time, all time is the same. My friend Jennifer is sitting up here up front. Now, Jennifer, Jennifer and I could go out and eat lunch together, but that wouldn't be a date. But some people think that as long as they're spending time reading something in the Bible, that's devotional. It would have to be a different attitude to make it a date. And sometimes the attitude people approach their time with God with is not devotional at all. They're not coming to Him in a way that is wanting to spend time with Him and learn with Him. That undivided attention time. Sometimes it's obligatory time. Well, I've got to do this thing. Now, we bring this on ourselves sometimes when it, we, we're dealing with devotions. We, and I, it, this pains me. But too often, and when, I, and when I'm talking about devotional time, I'm talking about personal study of the Bible, personal study of inspired writings, personal uh, time in prayer, not group stuff, this is the personal, but sometimes this is a competition. Now, as a pastor, I mean, we've had, uh, and, and you'll have to hear me out here, but we've had whole workers' meetings focused on the importance of prayer, and I'm not diminishing that in the least. But ministers get together, and we like to talk about the, the people like Martin Luther, who spent three hours a day in prayer. And suddenly it becomes a contest, because now you've got to spend three hours a day in prayer, or you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not as good a Christian as Martin Luther, and if we're Seventh-day Adventists, it ought to be four, or if the Lord's coming soon, it ought to be five. And prayer is important, and I'm not diminishing that. But sometimes our devotional, we get the idea that to have a good devotional life, I've got to have quantity. And quantity does not amount to a good devotional life in and of itself. Ellen White says oftentimes a, a perusal of many chapters in the Bible doesn't do you any good. I'll tell you something else. The Scripture says Jesus often spent, and Ellen White confirms this, entire nights in prayer. But guess what? He didn't spend every entire night in prayer. Are you aware of that? Sometimes he prayed longer than others. And the reason I'm telling you this is sometimes we talk to a friend and you, some friend says, I had a friend once who said, you know, I figure we tithe our money, we ought to tithe our time. So 2.4 hours a day we need to spend in devotions. I said, good for you. I'm not, I'm not challenged by the fact that he spends 2.5 hours and I didn't perhaps do that today. Because my devotional life is not his. And your devotional life is not mine. And I'm saying this because far too many Seventh-day Adventists just give up because they're like, well, I can't do two and a half hours. I can't pray four hours a day. I can't pray for one hour. I'm lucky to get 15 minutes. Then give him 15 minutes. We got to stop comparing on this. This is personal. This is what I do with me, between me and God. And I'm going to tell you that if you spend the personal time. You know, when I began dating my wife, dating wasn't 
dating. Remember? Because she, the whole thing there. When I thought I was dating my wife, it didn't start out spending significant amounts of time. It would be here and there. And the more I got to know her, what do you think happened? The time increased. The point I want to communicate is it's any, if you want a relationship with Christ, you need to commit time to Him. Don't be so worried about the, the, how huge the block of time is. You start giving Him the time, undivided time, turn off the phone. So this is something that I've noticed recently. Now I'm going to get into something else, and it's probably going to get me into trouble, but I do most of my devotions on my iPad. Oh, I know, there are preachers who say, don't do it on your phone, and this, and, that. and they have, there are good reasons for that, I'm going to give you one in just a minute. You know why I do that? Because there came a day when I was reading my Bible, and I couldn't figure out why everything looked blurry. And I talked, when I went to the eye doctor, he said, that's normal, your eyes are good. I said, no, my eyes aren't good, I can't see anything when I'm reading it. So I have reading glasses, progressive, they call them. They're a pain to use. I used to be an electrician. I work with my hands. I can't see anything here anymore because i got to go like this. And so sometimes what I do is this when I'm working on something up here. I'm just being honest with you. So listen, in my iPad, I can adjust the text size. And so it's, but I'm going to tell you now the distraction, and I think this is why some preachers make the point of this. The problem with your iPad, your iPhone, and doing study on it is those notifications. Boom! They come up and say, oh, you have a message. So I'm just going to tell you that that takes away from undivided time with God. You want a good relationship with Christ, you want to have time where you can focus on Him and there's no distraction. I'd recommend an hour a day to start, but if you don't have an hour a day, give him what you have. Because if you don't give him anything, you can't, the relationship's not going to grow. It's just not going to grow. Now, something else I need to make a point of here is relationships develop over time. We don't start out as besties with people, best friends. And I've heard a lot of talk in recent years, there's this big emphasis in our church, we're like, we don't want to put the cart before the horse, talking about Christian behavior before we know we love God, especially with young people, it's like they need to understand the love of God before we can talk about Christian behavior. Well, that all sounds really beautiful, the problem is, love grows over time. That would have been like saying, hey, don't go on a walk with your wife or with your girlfriend don't go out to dinner together until you know you're in love. How do I know I'm in love until I start spending the time together? We get ourselves in these challenges and we, we create this, this uh, a paradigm that we can't work within. Your relationship with God is going to grow over time. I've got some people say, I don't know if I should even give any kind of energy into this Christian thing because I don't know if I'm feeling it yet. Well, you're not going to start feeling it until you start doing it and spending that time with the Lord. You want to spend that time, commit that time to Him. And I'm going to get into this a little bit further. That some of that time you spend is going to be, it's going to seem very unproductive. I'll touch on that as we go. Now notice this statement from Steps to Christ. It says, make every effort 
to keep open the communion between Jesus and your own soul. Seek every opportunity to go where prayer is wont to be made. Now, it's going to go on in this statement. I want to make this point. When you are wanting to grow a relationship and you want to spend time together, when it comes to a relationship with the Lord, and I've talked about the personal, but you can't get around corporate worship. And there are some people that avoid corporate worship and wonder why their relationship is struggling. And some of you are thinking, I go to church every Saturday, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about Sabbath school. I'm talking about prayer meeting. Oh, you say, I'm too busy to go to prayer meeting. You're too busy to have a relationship with Christ. Quit lying to yourself. Goes on to say, those who are what? Really seeking for communion with God will be seen in the prayer meeting. Brothers and sisters, I can't understand it. Where we are today, we, oh, we live in the last days. I can preach on Sabbath, the saints will amen from here till the Lord's second coming. I'll raise their hand and say, we want to be like Jesus. We want to see him come, but for some reason, they can't get out to prayer meeting. And I could, I could read you statements from Ellen White that curl your toenails on this. I'm hesitant to do that as a pastor because I'll tell you something. Every time you share this with the saints, here's what happens. When light comes to us, we're not different from the rest of the world. When light comes to us and in our mind we say, yeah, but, but. We make excuses and we dig our heels in. We start to get resistant. And it gets to a point where the more I try to remind the saints about prayer, here he goes again. I'm not even going to listen. But this is a serious issue. Those who are really seeking for communion with God will be seen in the prayer meeting, faithful to do their duty, and earnest and anxious to reap all the benefits they can gain. They will improve every, what? How many? Every opportunity of placing themselves where they can receive the rays of light from heaven. She goes on in that book to say, we sustain a loss when we neglect the privilege of associating together to strengthen and encourage one another in the service of God. That's corporate worship. That helps to strengthen our relationship. You can't neglect that and think you're going to have the thriving relationship. It's not going to happen. Let's talk about communication. These folks are communicating. And maybe you've been communicating like that. I mean, I look at this guy and say, what? What I do? That's what I... And she's like, you know what you did. I I don't know what happened here. I'm just reading into the picture, but probably a little life experience there. And before long, you know what you did. When you're in love, nobody has to urge you to spend time talking and listening. When my wife and I were dating, we had phones. Not, not cell phones, right, that fit in your pocket. We had big handset receivers with cords on them. My wife and I, we would go to bed at night talking on the phone. We just wanted to talk all the time. And I can't tell you how many times we would fall asleep on the phone and be wakened to this, eh, 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 eh. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The older ones here know what I'm talking about. You're like, what is that? The young people are like, huh? See, when you used to leave the phone off the hook, after a little while, there'd be this tone that would start playing. And it did sound like that, eh, 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 and it was supposed to get you to hang the phone back up so somebody could call you again if they needed to. You don't have to tell somebody to spend time talking or listening. 
Communication is a two-way street, talking and, and listening. We talk to God in prayer. One of my favorite verses is in Psalm 40, verse 1. I want you to see this with me, Psalm 40, verse 1. Psalm 40 and verse 1. Notice what David says here. This is just so powerful to me. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he what? He what? Inclined to me. What does it mean to incline? I'm, not, I'm fighting the temptation to go to the rest of the verse. We've got more to cover. But that, that is where I want us to see this morning. It says, David says, I waited on the, on the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. So David's praying to God, and what does it mean to incline? It means to lean. What's being communicated there? Why does a person lean in when another person is crying out? Listen to me, and don't miss this. There is never a time that God does not want to hear your prayers. Your sincere prayers, I should say. The Bible says, he who turns his ear from hearing the, the law of the Lord, even his prayer is an abomination. But when you are sincerely crying out to God, wanting His help, wanting to know His will, He inclines to you. The book steps through, oh, I want to tell you this so much. The chapter, Privilege of Prayer, I mean, I can't, I can't touch this this morning. We're just scratching the surface. Read it. Privilege of Prayer, the knowledge of God. That's what those two chapters, and growing up into Christ. I'm trying to combine all those this morning. But in the, cha- in, in the, I think it's the Privilege of Prayer chapter, it says the angels are just amazed that we don't pray more. That we have got this access to God, and we, we're always complaining about our problems. You know how we do that? We do it with each other, like, like you can help me. I mean, God, no, I'm not going to talk to him about it. I mean, this is, now I don't know, I don't know, you know, I've met people who struggle with prayer because they're afraid they're not doing it right. And I have to confess, I think as ministers we mess this up. We have our public prayers, and we do it also. I'm, I'm sure you've heard people, because I've heard people praying. I'm like, wow, they pray so good. You know, they get up and this is flowery. That's not the prayer God is looking for. I'm, saying that's an, I'm not saying that's inappropriate. I'm saying God doesn't care how you, if you phrase it just right. Just talk to Him. Open the heart to Him as to a friend. God longs to hear our prayers. Ellen White calls it secret prayer. She says, above all, we must not neglect secret prayer. That's personal prayer. For this is the what? The life of the soul. This is what brings to us the spiritual strength of God. It is what? What's the next word? Impossible for the soul to flourish while prayer is neglected. I'm, gonna, I, I'm sure that there are some here today that say, I just struggle with that part of things. I mean, I just can't see God when I'm praying. It's that I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you if you have a problem with that personal prayer, just, you know, really spending any real time in prayer, take 15 minutes, give God 15 minutes. I'm going to tell you if you have a struggle with it, two minutes and you're going to be like, okay, what else? Don't get up, stay there. Ask the Lord, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, tell me what to pray. I'm going to tell you, your mind is going to start flooding with thoughts. There are, there are days when I have to get up, and I don't want to get up. I've been, get up. I've been praying before these meetings, and it's like, Lord, I don't want to go. It's like I'm here. It's like I'm in this little place with the Lord, and I don't want to go out there. <laughs> I want to stay right here. And you'll get that 
if you don't have it now, just you've got to apply yourself a little bit to it, and the Lord will teach you how to pray. But you can't be like, okay, I'm going to get, uh, it's been two minutes, I don't know what to say, I'm going to get up. Just give it some time. I mean, there are times when you have to do that, but in your personal time, if you've set the time aside, you don't have to be anywhere. Just ask the Lord for guidance and tell Him what's on your heart like you'd talk to a friend. It's impossible for the soul to flourish while prayer is neglected. It goes on to say, or it says a little earlier in the book, the darkness of the evil one encloses those who what? That word neglect is an important word. It didn't say those who forget to pray. Neglect is a word that you use when you know you ought to do it and you want to do it and you know you should be doing it, but for some reason you just don't do it. You neglect it. The darkness of the evil one encloses those who neglect to, pr- neglect to pray. Now listen, when we're praying, we're not telling God something He doesn't know. The, the purpose for... And I'm saying that because sometimes it's like, especially when... Have you ever had that situation where you've done something really bad, you know you shouldn't do it, you did it, and now you're like, I can't pray now. I just did this thing that I keep telling the Lord I'm not going to do, and I did it again. And so you, what you do is you try to really strengthen up your spiritual life. You start doing some good things. You're going to go to prayer meeting that week even. And you get up early for Sabbath school, and then after a little bit of work, then you're like, now I can go to God. You know what you just did? You just tried to make yourself better by your own works. God doesn't need that. He doesn't want that from you. We, we, the, but Jesus said your heavenly Father has knowledge of what you need before you ask Him. We don't pray to let Him know what... And God's like, oh, really, thanks for informing me. God already knows it. He's wanting to invite us up into His way of thinking and put us on His wavelength. Notice in the book Steps to Christ, it says, through sincere prayer, we are brought into connection with the mind of the infinite. Prayer is God drawing us to himself. Remember again, we learned earlier this week, there's nothing in us that desires spiritual things. If you're thinking about praying, who gave you the idea? We've got to remember that. I mean, well, I should pray, but I don't know if God will hear me. If he didn't want to hear you, wouldn't be tapping you on the shoulder saying you ought to pray. When you're thinking about praying, it's because God has invited you to do that. He's inviting you into his presence, that communication of spending. And let me just say this. I want to challenge you to do, if you forget everything else this morning, do this. And I mean this with all my heart. This is probably one of the most important, this may be the most important thing I've said this week. I would encourage you to have a plan when you, when you read, to read the Bible in harmony with Ellen White's Conflict of the Ages books. Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, Desire of Ages, Acts of the Apostles, Great Controversy. If you've never read, done that, or if you have, you, if you do that and forget everything else at camp meeting, your spiritual life will thrive, period. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. We are not spending enough time in inspired materials. Inspired writings are different than normal writings. They contain the power of God in them, and they're transformative, and they give us a foundation. And I want to tell you, we're adrift today. we got a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, I feel, for our young people. We're afraid to teach anything anymore. They don't know what we believe. Oh, I could go on about that. I'm just telling you, we've got to be studying for ourselves in inspired writings. That's where we connect. That's how the Lord reveals himself to us. We talk about beholding Christ in this nebulous way. And people say, oh, we just need to be... You know where we behold him? 
in his word. Because when we behold him somewhere else, how do we know that's not him or the imposter? In the word is where we get the clear view of Christ. In inspired writings, we get the clear view of Christ. In the newly released discipleship handbook, which I'm going to share with you tomorrow morning a little bit about, there's a reading plan in the back that you can follow along and do just what I've said, and you do that, like I said, forgetting everything else, and you will become strong in your spiritual life. You can't help but have a relationship with Christ. Of course, you have to make time to do that. And then there's the communication. And then there's expression. You don't have a good relationship without expression. There was an age, at least here in America, where it was thought to be beneath a man to tell his wife he loved her. Tell her she looked beautiful. That was not the manly thing to do. Ellen White addresses it in the book Adventist Home. It says some men feel that this is, you know, beneath them. In the book Ministry of Healing, there's some great stuff on the family and the home and the role of the husband. Let me say by what I mean by great. You're going to be totally convicted when you read it. And you're going to be like, okay, now I have a whole bunch of other things I need to work on. Okay? Amen. Praise God. Because he wants to make us more like him. But expression is essential in a relationship. Somebody amen that. Or do you not care? How many of you like to have your significant other, if you're in a relationship like that, express that to you? All right? Parents to children, children to parents, expression is essential in a relationship. And you don't have to tell people that get in a relationship to express themselves. She's going to get mad at me for doing this. I told her I did it in Carolina. But this is my friend Allison, and this is her Facebook page. And you see that little thing on the bottom? In a relationship. Right? I don't think anybody prodded her to do that. I don't think somebody said, you know, you really ought to put that on your page. I think the reason this whole relationship status thing is there is because people like to express themselves. They're, they're glad they're in a relationship. That's part of the expression, and we're going to talk about that more tomorrow when we talk about witnessing about that relationship to others. When I started dating my wife, there were ways I expressed myself. I found out the things she liked. Now, this is a picture of the actual place we used to go there in Columbia, Missouri. It's an insurance company, but they had this fountain, and we would go and sp we would spend hours there talking together. But I would find things she liked to do. I would find things she liked to receive. I learned very soon that my wife liked pink roses, not red roses. So what do you think I did? I said, listen, honey, that's red roses or nothing. Take it or leave it. Right? You're like, you were married for 32 years? Yeah. No, I got her pink roses. This is a part of, expression is a part of relationship. Finding out what the other likes and doing it. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that we are to find out what pleases the Lord. I, I mean, I just don't get them. People are like, oh, you know, you're on a works trip because you want to do, no, I want to do what pleases the Lord. That's what I want part of my relationship and we get into this thing today I've had people come to me they say pastor you know sometimes you you preach sermons and they're all behavioral always talking about behavior talking about performance we need to be focusing on relationship not performance I'm not I'm, I, I, I was going to ask how many have heard that but I don't want to ask how many have said it because it sounds so good it sounds so balanced until you think about it and I may have made mention of this the other morning. If my wife and I have marital problems, 
well, I don't want to use myself as an example here because I'm going to be a drinker. I'm not going to be a drinker. Okay, well, I already did it, so I'm going to be a drinker, okay? I'm not an Adventist pastor. I'm a drinker. I'm married with my wife. This is a made, I'm making this up, okay? I better be clear. You're going to go in and say, I didn't even realize it, but the Pastor Howard says he's a drinker. So I'm making this up, okay? Let's just assume that I have a problem with alcohol, and it's causing some strain in our marriage. My wife says to me, honey, we really need to see a counselor. I say, fine, we'll go to a counselor together. We go to the counselor, we sit down, we're talking together, and the counselor says, um, Mr. Howard, I'd like to ask you something. I think it'll be for the betterment of your marriage, but I really think you need to do something about this problem with the bottle, with alcoholism. And I say, hey, listen, buddy, I'm here to talk about my relationship. You leave my performance out of it. How far am I going to get in my relationship? Folks, relationships are built up with different performances. Now, I'm not saying you can't overemphasize one. And I'm not saying that there aren't times that people have that Christians haven't overemphasized performance to the exclusion of relationship. But you can't divorce the two. Part of a, any working relationship is finding expression. And part of expression is not having your own way all the time in the relationship. Yielding your will at certain times is a very practical part of any good relationship, isn't it? You know what? I wanted Chinese. My wife doesn't like Chinese. She really doesn't like Chinese food. It's terrible. It's tragic. So, you know what? She likes Mexican food. I like Mexican food. I can do Mexican food. So sometimes we don't have Chinese. We have Mexican. That's okay. I can live with that. I've lived with it for 32 years. I'm happy about it. Besides the fact she's a great cook, and if I had to cook for myself, I'd probably be beaten out of a can anyway, so I'm glad for that. But you understand what I'm saying. There are times when you yield in a relationship, any relationship, and there's much yielding that happens in a Christian relationship. The only difference is when it, my wife and I, either she's yielding or I'm yielding to opinion. But when I'm yielding to God, I'm yielding to what's right. I'm giving in to what's right. And the Lord will, won't withhold anything from us that's not going to make us happy when it's all said and done. How many times have you yielded your will to the Lord with fear and trepidation, like, okay, Lord, I'm going to give this thing up and my life's going to be ruined. I guess I'm going to give up this bad habit. And when you do, by the grace of God, you're like, why didn't I do that 15 years ago? The Lord always knows what's best. Time, communication, and expression are essential to any relationship. Now, I want to share with you, Pastor Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, shares the following factors, the main contributory factors to the breakup of marriages, four of them. Why marriages fail, living together before marriage. Are you aware of this? Yep. Statistically, folks, I mean, it's so funny. We, we, I like, it may be an inappropriate expression, but I say we live in the try-before-you-buy generation. People say, oh, we're going to live together, and that's going to guarantee long marriages. Yeah, that worked. How long do we have to do something wrong before we admit it isn't working? Even in the church, you understand in the church today that this is more and more common. Oh, go ahead, sleep together before you're married, and go ahead and live together, and it's okay. It's not a big deal. That's some archaic old Elizabethan custom. 
And yes, statistically, we can. And why are we doing it? Well, you've got, got to get to know each other. It'll make your marriage last longer. Yeah, right. Who still believes that? If you do, just check the statistics. One of the main contributing factors to a marriage failing is living together before marriage. The other, marrying before the age of 18. The other, having children before marriage. There are exceptions. There are exceptions. My wife had just turned 18. There are exceptions to that. Don't point to the exception and say, well, I think it works because this thing over here. No, statistically these. But that last one, unrealistic expectations, that's what I want to focus on. Unrealistic expectations can sink a marriage and they can sink your relationship with Christ. In high school, I was enamored with pictures of romance, candlelight, soft music, moonlit strolls, where conversation was limited to cliches strung together out of romance novels, romantic comedies, and Hallmark cards, or probably all from the love boat. And, and I'm serious, we, for, for many of us, I'm going to tell you something else that's a whole other sermon, so I can't get into it, but we've got to address the whole dating situation with our young people, and I'm telling you because too many of our adults either aren't doing it or we just aren't clear on it anymore. Go read Child Guidance. Go read Adventist Home. Go look at the statistics. The problem with dating as we refer to it today is that it's shaped by culture and our culture's concept of dating is totally non-scriptural. I'm not saying there's no such thing as dating whatsoever, but the dating that when people, and I watch this, young people enter into dating relationships and they think it's supposed to work like they saw in some movie. No, I had this mindset. It was all kind of fairy tale-ish. Oh, I also studied French, too. Bonjour, mon petit chien. I just said hello, my little dog. That's all I know. That's all I remember from my French class. But I took French because it's supposed to be this language of romance. I want to share with you a statement my friend Cameron DeVeja shared with me not too long ago, and I thought, I mean, I mean this... Took me, it may take you by surprise, written in, in uh, the book Councils to Writers and Editors, it says the religious life is not to be represented from the pulpit or in our papers as a what? As a romance. Of course, I first read this and I thought, I mean, I'm kind of talking about that this morning this way, right? And it just said, and I've done this before. And then I thought, well, wait, the bride of, the, the church is called the bride of Christ. You've got this relationship thing. What does it mean? The religious life is not to be expressed not to be represented from our pulpit or in our papers as a romance. Now it goes on. It pains my soul to see in the papers coming from our press the most important truth placed in the form, uh, placed before the people in the form of a romance. Novelty and romance do no honor to our publications. Now that caught my attention. What is novelty? That's things that are what? Things that are new, right? They're novel, they're new. It's the newness of something. So I got to thinking about romance, and I actually looked it up. You understand that romance isn't talking about relationship. Romance is talking about relationship in a certain way. According to the Oxford American Dictionary, romance is love, especially when sentimental or idealized. 
Webster's 1828 dictionary, when he was describing the literary, the literary romance, used these words, and this might even clarify it better. He says of the literary romance, compared to the literary novel, he said, it vaults or soars above the limits of fact and real life and often of probability. In other words, it's unrealistic. And I think what Ellen White is trying to communicate is that sometimes we can talk about the religious life in unrealistic ways and create unrealistic expectations. This is what happens in marriage. People see this movie. And this, 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 there's a common thread, at least in some of the movies back in my day, the romance movies, about this. When you find the right person, you're going to, they used to call it feeling the magic. You're just going to know. You're going to feel this thing. And that's how you're going to know. That's, that's what you're basing the rest of your life on? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The thing is, before marriage, the relationship centers around dating. And too often, in dating, you only see the side of the person they want you to see. Right? There are certain things you don't want them to know about you just yet until you get married. So then, when you get married, here comes the revelation, right? After marriage, you learn everything. Bad habits, bad breath, and all of it. Responsibilities are added to the recipe, and there are ups and downs, and husbands and wives don't agree on everything always. Now listen. It is in this context that you realize that the love is not a feeling you had, but a choice you made. It's a commitment. You know, my mom and dad had gotten divorced, and so uh, my older brother had this commitment. He was, he was never going to get divorced, and I don't understand it. Even as a young man, 13, 14, I remember him saying that, and I, I still remember it this day, and he kind of drilled it in my head that that's not an option. And I've never made it an option. By God's grace... We've already talked about this. Love is a commitment. God's love is a commitment. So it is in the Christian life. The Christian life is a commitment. Don't know what happened there. The Christian life is a commitment. And the problem, the problem too many Christians run into in their relationship with Christ is they want to base that relationship upon how they feel. And you say, well, I'm not feeling it today. I'm having my devotional time today, and I'm not feeling it today. Brothers and sisters, let me be honest. I, there's a lot of days I don't feel it. Right? I'm getting up to have a devotional reading in the book of First Chronicles. Let's just forget about it, okay? So-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so, and why am I even reading this? I'm in Leviticus, and I'm looking at all the details of the sanctuary. I'm just going to be honest with you that it doesn't all read just the same as David and Goliath. Right? But in the same way, in my marriage, there are days I wake up, and I just feel great, and there are days I wake up, and I'm crabby. And the same thing happens with my wife. That's how relationships are. Now, God doesn't get crabby, but I sure do. 
But your relationship is based on a commitment you made and God's promises to you. And when we start to evaluate where I am with Christ by how I feel about things, the devil is going to capitalize on that. If there's anything he does well, he knows how to manipulate feelings. And far too many Christians allow feelings to interpret their standing with Christ instead of his word and his promises. And he's, I'm going to be honest with you, God's testing us on those things. He wants to see if we'll take him at his word. And the devil comes in and whispers things to us. And I have people say, I don't feel like God loves me. I don't care how you feel. He says he loves you. Are you calling him a liar? Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. God says, I love you, then he loves me. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. He said it. I don't feel like God forgives me. But he said he forgives you. Have you confessed? He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Where's the question? Now, am I going to put my feelings above what the plain word of God tells me? It doesn't seem like I'm growing in my Christian life. Oh, this is one of my favorites. It doesn't seem like I'm growing. I'm get, here's another challenge for you, okay? I, I'm not going to tell you to take this one all that seriously. The next time you have time on your hands and you're going to need time, go sit in front of a tree and watch it grow. <laughs> and tell me what you see. Journal it out. You're like, that's ludicrous. Well, what do you think you're going to look at yourself and see Christian growth? How's that going to work? Now, let me tell you something that may surprise you. How many of you think you would see growth sitting in front of a tree even for an hour? I don't see a single hand. But let me surprise you. It's still growing. Amen. And just because you don't see growth in you doesn't mean you're not growing. You spend the time with the Lord, you communicate with Him, you give expression to that, you will grow. God guarantees it. The Bible promises us that He who has begun a good work in us will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You know, on Monday we learned, was it Sunday or Monday, God is always on our side. Maybe a Sabbath message. God is always on our side. His love isn't based on who we are, it's who He is. He's always on our side. We can go to Him at any time. He inclines to us. He longs to see us saved. He gave the most precious thing that He had, His only Son, so we would have eternity. He's not busy somewhere. Sorry, I'm tied up. He's invested. If you sold every possession you had to put it into something, how invested would you be? And what does that compare with what God invested in you? Oh, brothers and sisters, praise God for it. He doesn't love us only when we deserve it, because we never will, even on our best behavior. His love for us is constant and unchanging, so what do our feelings have to do with it? Let's believe His promises and walk by faith and not by sight. What do you say? I want to finish with this statement from Steps to Christ, page 70. It says, a life in Christ is a life of restfulness. There may be no what? Ecstasy of feeling, but there should be an abiding, peaceful trust. That's only if you can say, I'm going to believe God's word no matter what anything else says. Right? Like the faith of Abraham we talked about the other day. I believe whatever he says. I won't look at my own body. I won't look at my own circumstances, the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
And then the life in Christ is restfulness. Why? Because it's in His hands. And I can trust it in His hands. If it's in my hands, now i got to worry. But when it's in His hands, what do i got to worry about? Your hope is not where? It's not in yourself. It is in Christ. Your weakness is united to His strength. Your ignorance to His wisdom. Your frailty to His enduring might. So you are not to look to yourself, not to let the mind dwell on self, but look to Christ. Let the mind dwell upon His love, upon the beauty, the perfection of His character, Christ in His self-denial, Christ in His humiliation, Christ in His purity and holiness, Christ in His matchless love. That just means it doesn't match anything else. Nothing else compares to it. This is the subject for the soul's contemplation. It is by loving Him, copying Him, depending wholly upon Him that you are to be transformed into His likeness. And brothers and sisters, He's going to do what He started. He's going to finish it. If we just trust in Him. Are you willing to put your trust in Christ today? Raise your hands with me if you want to say, Lord, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Oh, Father, we thank you so much that you are always on our side, that you are always drawing us to yourself, that you incline your ear to us, that you draw us to this relationship with you, that, Lord, there is, there is nothing in us that he would, would even be thinking about having a relationship with you if this morning, even now, your Holy Spirit wasn't inviting us. We just praise your holy name. And Lord, so often we are assailed by our own doubts and feelings and our false expectations of what our relationship should look like instead of just resting in your promises. So I pray, Father, we believe this morning, help our unbelief. And Lord, we want to spend eternity with you and your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, with one another, we long for that day. Even so, come Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.